Good morning. If you're new with us, my name is Brandon, and we are in Matthew chapter 20 this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Matthew chapter 20. That was beautiful during the offertory, all the music this morning, Oksana. Thank you so much. Martha Ellen Henry. You don't know who that is, but I do. Martha Ellen, for many, many years, played the offertory, the church where I met Jesus. If you've been in church for a long, long time, you'll know that a beautiful song, while the plates are passed, is just what we do as Baptists. I think it induces better giving. That was a joke. (laughs) Martha Ellen's son, Larry, was one of my first employers. Her grandson, Joe, was my best childhood friend. And it was one hot July day that... Joe and I, as, oh, probably freshmen, well, we were at least sophomores because this story, you know, ends with us driving, so I don't think we drove illegally that day, although it happened at times out in the country. Uh, We were working in the tobacco patch, and it was particularly hot, and the morning got particularly long, and we needed... Chinese food for lunch. And there was the Flying J just up the the road a few miles in Franklin, Kentucky, that served the best Chinese food I'd ever had. Truck stop Chinese food, come on. (laughs) And Joe, at some point, probably about 10 a.m., he looked over at me and whispered, Flying J. I was like, yes. Problem is, Flying J wasn't as close as we thought it was that day, you know, to the field in which we were working in for Joe's dad. And the truck we took, unfortunately, had the tobacco knives in it. All of them. And when we got back from our orange chicken, Mr. Larry was really upset. And I will never, ever forget that. I am not a proponent of profanity. But if there ever was a time for someone to use it, and Mr. Larry did in that moment, (laughs) this was it. Man, we messed up. And just think about it. It cost us, it cost Larry 15 workers times 45 minutes late, do the math. That's a lot of hours of work in what we had to get done that day. And Joe and I, Joe was a good worker. I was not that good a worker. (laughs) I worked hard, but it was evident in all 13 other persons out there in the field that I was slow at what we were doing. And so I I wasn't a a huge loss being at the Flying J. Joe was a little worse. But to have everybody knocked out of the work, that was bad. And these were, oh, I have such stories about those that worked alongside of us. I remember Derek Dallin, who would sing the great drifter's song, Under the Boardwalk, up and down the rows of tobacco, all day long. And he, to this day, no offense, Shane, has one of the best uh, male voices I've ever heard. 
Derek, for instance, had a hard time holding down a job. But he was there all summer long, getting paid by Larry and doing great work. I also remember Derek because he was the fastest tobacco spiker I had ever seen. A motley group of employees that I got to work alongside of. And many of them hired for the particular day in which we were working. Let's look at our text as we hear this story from Jesus. We're continuing in our series about who God is. I'm so grateful, Oksana, for the way that you put together songs that were absolutely about who God is. For this gathering is not as much a story about us, although we do play a part. We are the body of Christ, but we are being reminded in the text and through the gospel that we sing and remind one another of who God is. Today we look at God who is generous. Starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers. For his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. And we went out, when he went out at about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, You also go into my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. And so off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. Will you also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. And when they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and burning heat. He replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first. And the first, last. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. I'm reminded as we begin to unpack this story from Jesus of Isaiah 55, 8. And I want to remind you of it as well today. This is Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord. For, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. Keep that in mind as we, as we talk about this story. Now, parables told by Jesus, they are earthly stories that they provide insight into what God's kingdom is like. Matthew often 
said the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. Those are interchangeable. A couple of things about this. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is is where the reign of God is. I've told you before, but I love this. uh, Tim Keller uh, says that the kingdom is anywhere that things are as the king would have them. That's any kingdom. So the kingdom of God is anywhere things are as Jesus, our king, would would have them. Mark Roberts, a professor at Fuller Seminary, he actually likens the kingdom to, to what we looked at last week together when we singled out God as, as holy, God's holiness, God's sovereignty. The kingdom began when Jesus came and lived, and it continues to, to, to be, it continues to come today. As the Spirit lives and moves among the church, the body of Christ in the world, and it exists specifically in and through those of us who follow and are being formed by Jesus. So for us to look at this story and to understand more about how Jesus taught, what Jesus taught, how he lived, who Jesus is, well, that is very important for us to do. In fact, to look into the gospel narratives, specifically to learn these things about Jesus and to learn from Jesus, who John 1 teaches us is God's word, is the most important thing we can do. To look at Jesus is to get a picture of what God is like to to help shape what we think about when we think about God. I remind you the A.W. Tozer quote we have looked at Time and time again through this series, what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, please, please keep in mind with me, it bears no weight to be able to describe God's kingdom. That's, that is fine. But to describe it without living it out, it's worthless. What matters is that we understand what the kingdom is like. That we understand that we live in it. And that we live it out. So I made an effort to illustrate, you know, some of my childhood experiences out in the vineyard, so to speak, or the tobacco patch. So let's try to import ourselves into this story, into the fields of this landowner, if you will. So a a landowner who takes several trips into town during a particular work day, that would have caught the listener's ear. That is an important part of this story, a bit odd, I would say. Uh, Actually, a landowner who went into town at all to survey the employee pool would have caught the listener's ear. That is odd as well. The master typically would have been a gentleman landowner who would have had one or more managers to handle that responsibility. Now, we do have a manager that comes in later in the story, and we'll get to that, but it wasn't the manager who went to town in this story. It was the landowner himself. I've ridden in my friend Bobby's black pickup truck to town. In his town in Haiti. I appreciate so much, Susan, you mentioning Haiti during the offertory time. And 
all that is going on there right now. Just another earthquake recently. President being assassinated. I read this morning, sixty-five only sixty-five percent of the entire country drinks water that has been treated. That's that's terrible in twenty twenty-one. And Bobby was pushing back against the poverty that exists all throughout Haiti as the landowner of his estate. His estate was an orf- is an orphanage where we have been uh, many times. I've been many times. Last time I was there about seven years ago, there were 50-some kids that lived there. A lot of the kids still from families that Parents had been killed or broken up in the terrible earthquake in 2010. And what we would do is we would go there to, yes, work in the orphanage, but we also, I mean, we had friends. They were friends, so we would go see the, our friends and serve in the orphanage and also build homes. For $5,000, it could completely change a person's family's life in Haiti. And we would build homes for, um, sometimes, for children in the orphanage get, get to get them back with their family. And yes, we, our group was there to help build the homes, but we were not technical labor. We were grunt workers at best, sifting concrete or moving a block from here to there. That was the extent of how I helped. And an important part of the process was to employ Haitians, and particularly Haitians who had the technical expertise to help build these homes. And so here I am, fresh off of my $800 flight from Nashville, sitting in the front seat of Bobby's pickup truck to go to town to select from a pool of employees that is much larger than the number we need to hire. I've never lived somewhere where the workers outnumber the responsibilities, the opportunities. I have visited such places where the wage is not the chief point of disagreement among the workforce, but it's the availability of work at all, and Haiti is one of those places. I've never had to feel what it feels like to see a truck drive up and to run to that truck as quickly as I can in hopes that the driver will notice me and hire me. And I saw that day in Bobby's truck what desperation, quiet internal desperation looks like in a person's face. The humiliation that their situation brought them, and I will never forget that feeling. I believe the owner in our story is driving back and forth to town, not to scoff at the less fortunate. While that may be true somewhere in the world, people can be so cruel But in our story, he keeps going back to town, and I believe it's because he has compassion for the unemployed. The first group, if you look at verse 2, is hired for a specific purpose, for a specific wage. They were hired. uh, The text is specific about what is paid, one denarius, a typical wage for a day, common and generous. The second group hired around 9 a.m., the text tells us, they were told they would be given whatever is right. The third group, 
selected around noon. And this is interesting because, and I've, ex- I've experienced this, this is when you get to noon, it's definitely past the time when the workers would have still been there, at least in Haiti and, and other places in the world where this is common. The employers come in the morning, and if you're left out of that wave, you tend to go back home, assuming you won't be hired. But in our story here, the workers, they stay. And at noon, when the third group is selected, they're still there. The owner would have expected them not to be there, I think. But he still drove to town, and they were still there. It's odd that the owner would miscalculate the number of employees needed at the beginning of the day. Now, maybe he had two employees run off with all the tobacco knives to the Flying J. It's possible. So he needed some more. But I think it's important for us to remember that it's his compassion that keeps him coming back into town every three hours. So he sees a crowd there at noon and he has compassion and he hires some of them. It's as if he cannot help himself. And then he comes back at three o'clock. His compassion and curiosity just couldn't help it. I wonder if there's still some people there, maybe. Sure enough, they, they are. So he hires a few more. And the implication is that each time he hired some, he promised to pay what is right. Some translations actually have it in there. In verse 7, I believe that we will pay whatever is right, but it's implied that what was done for that group at 9 o'clock is also done for the next three groups as well. We'll pay you whatever is right. And so we're left in studying and reading the text with this question implied, well, what is right? What does justice look like? What exactly is justice? And, And because we know how we as people typically understand justice, I think most of us, me included, would understand it like the group that was hired first seems to understand it, that they would be getting the most reward for their work. But our story is helping us see that the owner did not simply have compassion and and just give handouts, which would have made a lot of sense. He goes back, well, you're still not working. Well, here, have this. Have this food or have this money to take with you. But the owner doesn't just give handouts. The owner gives what is implied that the workers want by still being there. They want to work, right? And in doing so, the owner gives them dignity. What they are demonstrating that they want. I was convicted this week. I don't I don't often have cash with me, but there is a lot of, of folks around our town who sells the contributor newspaper, who sell the contributor newspaper at, at red lights. And as I studied this story, I mean, that's commendable, right? Especially in the summer, man, they're out there working. I think we could buy a paper. That was an aside. I know we could buy paper. Every time one of my children is with me in the car, I'm, 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 I'm pained a little bit by not doing it. That means we should, right? Come on, Brandon. So by the end of the day, there are five groups 
of people gainfully employed. First group has a contract, right? One denarius, work all day. The next four groups simply worked and, and will receive what they received. There's so much in this. I mean, they just, they went. They didn't have a promise of anything. Maybe they were just working for, you know, to show off so they might be hired the next day. They didn't know. And here's where it gets interesting, if it's not interesting already. A few, three unexpected things happen at this point in the story. First, as we alluded to earlier, the manager shows up. So the owner who's been going to town all day, he obviously has some managers back at the, at the field to help direct the work. And the manager is instructed to pay the wage. And the second unexpected thing that happens, apart from the manager showing up, is, is what the manager is told to pay. And what is implied in the text here is that the manager is told to pay each employee a full day's wage. The text says the wage. And that means what they would pay for a full day. And then the third unexpected thing happens is the order in which the manager is told to pay them. And it's not, it, 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 it makes sense to us, it should make sense to us reading the story now because we have the, we're privy to verse 16 as well as verse 30 in chapter 19 where we see Jesus say the same thing in both of those verses. Last will be first. First, last. So they're paid in reverse order of when they were hired. Now, do notice that the owner could have avoided, theoretically, this whole mess by paying those who had the contract first. And theoretically, they would have been on their way and, and would have not known any difference. But the order in which they're paid allows everybody to stand there and to see the owner's philosophy on how he is paying the workers this day. The owner is flipping the scales. The owner is pushing back against what is my understanding of how the world works, which is equal pay for equal work, right? But think about it. What's truly, what is the complaint of those who were hired first? They, they were paid what they agreed to. Church, when you feel entitled, when, when, we, when we feel entitled like we have earned what we receive, we will likely not tolerate someone receiving as much who we feel has not done as much. That may seem simple and obvious, but this is part of our work as those following and being formed by Jesus to recognize this and to name it if we are truly going to understand what God is like. I like reading short stories. One of my favorite writers is, a, is one who wrote uh, from the South and about the South, Flannery O'Connor. Her tales are some of my favorite. I was reminded of her story titled Revelation this week. Perhaps you've read it. If you haven't, I encourage you to do so. It's a, it's a wonderful short story in which the main character is, if I'm not mistaken, Mrs. Ruby Turpin. And she and her husband were landowners. They were people of repute, uh, virtue. And the story takes place in a crowded doctor's office because Mrs. Turpin's husband has gotten, he's hurt and, and needs to go be tended to. I can't remember what, he, he actually, because how the story unfolds, he never gets seen by the doctor. Bless his heart. The, the story is set, and the room is full, the waiting room, and there is some amazing stuff going on in this room. Uh, 
And what couches it is Mrs. Turpin's worldview and her conversations with the people in the room. And she has conversations with several people in the room. But the most interesting interaction is with a young woman. I believe she was about to go to university, to college. And she was there reading a book. And Mrs. Turpin was turned off by her homeliness, her attitude. And it was just very interesting. To, I think she was unkempt to, to an extent, but the young woman was turned off by everything Mrs. Turpin was saying. Case in point, here's one of the quotes from lovely Mrs. Turpin. Oh, Lord, when I think who all I could have been besides myself and what all I got, which is a little of everything, and a good disposition besides, I just feel like shouting, thank you, Jesus. For making everything the way it is, it could have been so different. And when she said that out loud, it was at that moment that the young lady took the hardback book she was reading and struck Mrs. Turpin right across the face with it, which was terrible, but it was coming. And then she began to choke her hard. And then they had to call the ambulance to come get Mrs. Turpin and it was, a, it was a whole scene. She was okay. And the story ends with her out working in, Mrs. Turpin out working in her pig pen, her hog pen, having a conversation with God. And this is what she says. She says, God, why me? Why, why did this happen to me today? There's no trash around here, black or white. That I haven't given much to and break my back to the bone every day working and all that I do for the church. At that point, she looks out into the distance and in the twilight sky, she sees a vision. And what she sees is what is obvious to her, a long line of folks in the clouds, walking in to heaven. And at the front of the line that is formed, it's unmistakable. Mrs. Turpin sees all the people that were in her mind that she was thanking God that she wasn't like. The one she had always considered to be the least deserving. Last will be first. First, last. This story is a picture of grace. As God sees it, as Jesus lived it out, it reminds me of the band Reliant K's uh, line from their song, The Great Escape, which says, The beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. God's calculus is different than ours, folks. God is remarkably generous, and grace can be infuriating to those who operate solely under the equal work for equal pay paradigm when it comes to our faith. Here's what we have to understand about God who is generous and about the gospel that has and is changing us. 
Imagine a pie, because it's always good to imagine pie. The pie is obviously cherry, because if it can be anything, it's going to be cherry. Church, there's enough pie. There's all the pie in the world. If you're following and being formed by Jesus includes in any way this reticence about life, this this anxiety that comes with wondering if there is enough pie, then you are misunderstanding the gospel. Your blessing doesn't cost me anything. We have to start understanding this about one another. It's the ticket to loving one another well. There's there's nobody for what they've done that's left out of that line where Jesus is welcoming people into his arms. Here's how I want this to to encourage us and, and, and possibly play out for our church. I'm going to give you a point of application this morning that I'd like for you to consider. I considered having us all go do one big thing together, but I just didn't feel like that set right to go out and be lavishly generous for a couple of reasons. One is many of you are doing stuff already that are, that, that's incredibly generous. And those of you who are, I, I, I know a lot of you don't want it to be known, and I appreciate that. You're actually anonymous doers. I'm reminded of the, the guy who came up to me one time at the function when I was younger, and he said, the, the big gift they're talking about tonight, I was the on, anonymous donor for that. <laughs> no, you're not. I would love for you to email our staff what you're doing. Or if you know something that somebody's doing and you know they're not going to tell us, rat them out. Email on their behalf. You don't have to tell us their name. We want your stories. And those of you who may not be, those of you who may be a little bit more like I am far too often, anxious about whether or not there's enough, I challenge you. Go give somebody a lot. Go be really generous this week, and you'll be blessed for it. Yes, I want that generosity to flow naturally from our following and being formed by Jesus. But sometimes, C.S. Lewis helped me understand this, sometimes it's our practice that encourages our belief, our understanding. It works both ways. So if you're not totally feeling it, that's okay. Maybe the practice will help you feel it more. But I want your stories and your permission to share them. Because as we tell one another our stories about our generosity, it's going to make us even more generous as a community. It's going to help train us into the people following and being formed by Jesus who truly understand. Grace is immense. And by the world standards, it may be unfair, but it's not from Jesus' perspective. 
There's plenty of pie. Let's pray.